everyone. Welcome back to the New Wave Podcast. I am Pil, starting the intro. Moving <laughs> the past few episodes have has been a little badron. <laughs> oh, so you like that role? No, like you're taking over my intro. Like, that's my thing. Okay, sorry. You're the one who forgot how to do intros. Yeah, and by the way, that's Nuveen. I'm going to introduce her. I'm going to... Oh, okay. <laughs> am, I, am I a guest now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One day, soon, soon, you will be an episode on my podcast oh yeah me and um Pell have been talking about how she wants to interview me or something yeah so we both came to this idea i don't know why know. she'd want to interview me but um, anyways i mean so you are like an artist <laughs> in case you didn't know anyways um today, today oh there was like that tweet that kept on going around like uh oh my god it was so funny it was like just in case you didn't know, I'm, by the way, guys, I'm Kurdish. Um, and, like, everybody kept on <laughs> retweeting that. Like, anyways. Yeah. Uh, it's like, I think they know. I think they know by I now. Think everyone knows. Good. Um, well, today we are yes. very happy to have a wonderful guest on um, Megan Bodette. Oh, my God. Did I say that right, Megan? You did. Good. Megan Bodette. Yay. Welcome. Megan Bodette. Yeah. Woo! Thank you. Thank Me- you so much. Um, I'm really happy to be here. So I am a independent researcher focusing on the situation in Rojava and North and East Syria and regional politics in general with a good bit of focus on the women's movement there and broader women's rights issues. Uh, recently, I've been directing a project focusing on um, human rights abuses targeting women in the Turkish-occupied regions of northern Syria. Mm-hmm. I studied international relations at Georgetown University. But the thing I think I realized doing an IR degree is that you don't learn anything actually relevant to the real important parts of international issues and what's really going on in the world until you get out there and listen to people and mm. see things for yourself. So... Mm-hmm. That's my perspective, and um, I'm really grateful to both of you for having me on the podcast today. Yeah, wow, thank you so much for coming. You know, I've been um, following you on Twitter, and I've also, like, this past year, I um, was vi- I was watching some panel discussions that you were on, um, and just listening to you talk, and um, it was just so good and informative, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I want to talk more um with you and um can you what do you have like on the top of your head all the different panel discussions that you were on this past like 2020 like online so i can definitely um i know the main one that i did recently was one with the um International Center for the Study of Violent Extremism. I'm probably getting that wrong, but focusing on uh, the women's movement in Rojava and Northeast Syria. Mm-hmm. I probably have appeared, I'm sure there's been others. Yeah. Um, I've done some podcasts okay, uh, okay. before this one, which okay. um, has been most of the you know media that I've done on that yeah. topic. Okay. But um. Yeah, just a few podcast episodes and that public panel, I think, would be the main ones. Yes, 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 yes. It's wonderful. Um, so before we get into it, how did you get into into uh, researching and focusing on um, the women's movement in Rojava and, and this region? You know, like you, 
um were you yeah I don't know (laughs) yeah no I think that that's a totally fair question Mm -hmm. um when I started at university I was looking for opportunities to get involved in human rights issues and Mm -hmm. learn more about you know different international causes Mm -hmm. I've always been interested in international law and you know national human rights yeah and in the process of that I met the local Kurdish community that would have been 2016 so you know the war against ISIS was still very much um, in the attention of the world media and very much a reality on the ground and all of the issues that we see today were also still very present and just mm-hmm. meeting mm-hmm. and talking to people and hearing about the reality in that part of the world, mm-hmm. about the role that, you know, the U.S. government was playing and oftentimes supporting, you know, very harmful authoritarian states and very harmful armed groups and, mm-hmm. you know, the conflicting uh, diplomatic and military policies that we had. And hearing people's personal experiences made me think, you know, this is an important issue. This is something that I can support more and something where I can really effectively show solidarity. Yes. I tried Mm -hmm. my best to do that. I met more people. Um, I read a lot. I listened a lot. And for me, it was just so impactful looking at the women's movement specifically. Yes. How in the midst of such harsh circumstances, women from all of these different communities had banded together and said, this is going to be a part of the revolution. We're mm-hmm. not going to just, you know, militarily defeat ISIS. We're not going to just have an autonomous region. We're not going to just create our own state and our own political system, but we're going to have a system where women have freedom and mm-hmm. women have, you know, that same right to determine the conditions of their own society that people should have on the basis of ethnicity or religion or any other characteristic. So I thought that that was very worth supporting and Mm -hmm. very inspiring, honestly, I think for myself and for people around the world. And I've been working to support these causes and do what I can to draw attention to these issues ever since. Yes. And I, mm-hmm. and, and I really, you know, I've been telling you, I really appreciate it. And just following you and you're just one of those, one of those people where I'm, I'm on Twitter and I, and there's just an abundance of information that you're constantly putting out there. And it's, it's, it, you know, it's great. So it's very helpful and it's not just performative. Like mm-hmm. you can tell, like you actually like care and like personally you feel like some sort of I don't know, maybe I'm just assuming that there's like some sort of connection or like, you know, about women and yes, that it just makes it like really and you can tell from the work that you do. Well, that means a lot. Um, uh, That means, you know, from both of you with the work that you do with this podcast and, you know, the variety of voices that you bring in. That's incredibly important, creating that kind of media to show so many perspectives on everything mm. from politics to culture to, you know, current issues going on in every part of the world. I really admire that. Um, so Thank I was very you. honored, Thank you. you know, to go on this podcast. Awesome. And yeah, no, I would say um, I do have a personal connection to it. I think that if there's anywhere in the world where, you know, people's rights are being violated, where people aren't being able to live with the basic freedom that all people are entitled to, that's mm. a personal mm-hmm. issue for me. And I happen mm-hmm. to have, you know, met many people and worked very closely in solidarity um, with this particular cause in this particular part of the world. And, you know, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and for those who don't know anything about the woman movement in Rojava, could you give us like 
a little summary or intro? Yeah, like what? Because like when we mm. when we study, like you know, I've been in grad school for the past two years, and you know, there's we talk about all these different feminist movements, and this is one that does not come up, which I feel like I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, come on, you know. Hopefully, yeah. So where? So where would where would you even start? Um, where to start? Uh, well, if you look at the theory, you start a uh, five thousand years ago with the development of the precursor to the nation state and therefore a patriarchal civilization. But for the quick history of what we have in Kosovo, <laughs> yeah, um, essentially, you know, when the uh, Kurdish freedom movement on the other side of the border in Turkey started to become active in the late 1970s and early 1980s. As more women began to join, they began mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. not only focus on the fight for self-determination as a people, but on ensuring that unlike in other national liberation movements, women wouldn't be left behind. Mm-hmm. Because you looked at, you know, everything from the French Revolution to the, you know, socialist revolutions in Russia and China to um even Europe during the world wars, when women would uh, go into, you know, new fields to help the war effort, women yeah. were always sort of sent back to the kitchen after participating yes. to help their society through a difficult time. Um, mm. And the women in the Kurdish freedom movement essentially said, we're not going to let that happen. When we resolve, you know, our national question and we have a free country, we're also going to ensure that women are free too. Um, yeah. Mm. So they started building autonomous women's organizations, which actually met a lot of resistance from some of their male comrades at the time, mm. um, which is unsurprising, right? Because there's, you right. know, in any progressive left-wing organization, there'll be a lot of men who'll say they're progressive, but, you know, won't necessarily be progressive in their own, you know, personal way of dealing with that issue. Um, uh-huh. But they were able to strengthen these organizations and these autonomous structures to the point where it became institutionalized. Um, and up through the 2000s, when um, political and you know ideological changes took place that led to the establishment of autonomous structures in each you know occupied Kurdish region in the four countries, you started mm-hmm. to see this movement building up a bit more in Syria. Um, mm-hmm. You have the first civilian Kurdish women's organization in northern Syria um, established in 2005. That was uh, Yekatiya Star. It's Congress Star now. Um, and now they're really powerful. They're the confederation of all the women's organizations in the region. They have thousands of members. But when they were established, it was just a handful of women who had to work underground, you know, both to hide from the repressive regime and from conservatives mm. in their own communities who wouldn't have been happy with what they were doing. Um, right. So they faced a lot of pressure, but they organized anyway. And when the crisis in Syria broke out in 2011, they had a plan. And they were mm. able to say, you know, okay, if we create our own administration, here are all the ways that we have to ensure that women are empowered at every step of the way in politics, in self-defense, in the economy, And you can read the documents that they have from that time and see that, you know, a lot of what they were talking about has actually been implemented today across, you know, the entire region, the the autonomous administration of northeast Syria and the Syrian Democratic Forces control. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are things like for, you know, I'm sure I know you know this, but for a listener who might not know. 
you have, mm-hmm. you know, the YPJ, the women's defense units, who are the women fighters who were, you know, present in every major battle against ISIS in the region. Mm-hmm. You have a co-chair system. So every leadership position is shared by a man and a woman equally. Um, yes. And you have quotas for women's representation in all like mixed gender political bodies, as well as parallel women's organizations alongside every mixed gender organization. So like if you had, you know, a neighborhood assembly for a given town, there'd be the mixed gender one that would have 40% women in it. And then also an autonomous women's one that would focus specifically Mm -hmm. on women's issues. Um, There are women's cooperatives, there's special legislation that addresses concerns about women's rights. So it's a really developed system in all areas of society that's been yeah you know really successfully spread under harsh conditions so it's really very inspiring wow and and you know how like we know that this didn't happen overnight yeah you know this was years and years like you said of like even working underground on these things and when things you know um and to see it as successful you know as it is it it's as evolved as it is and and it's a model it's just one of those things where it's like this is a model for how it should be everywhere (laughs) not you know what i mean um uh not just there but in other parts Mm -hmm. of kurdistan as well oh um and i yeah interesting and then also thinking about like western perceptions you know of of these of these women right Mm -hmm. you know we always hear you know the west and the media glamorizing these women um you know with the guns and oh my god they're so they're such badasses this and that and you know and then even the movies holy crap that i've been seeing uh, don't get me started (laughs) (laughs) yeah um but it what do you have to say about like okay when you get past when when the west gets past fetishizing these beautiful women with their colorful scarves and their guns um when they get past when what do they need to look at once once they look past that and what can we what do you think we can take like yeah what does the rest of the world do you think needs to take away from this movement from this cause is this cause just a cause you know, I've often heard people say the Kurdish cause is not just a cause for Kurds. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you? Yeah, I think um, those are really important yeah. questions because I think that it's really important to criticize that dominant Western media huh? narrative that makes it all about, oh my goodness, look, women in a very patriarchal region have guns and they're fighting because that's not all that it's about. Um <laughs> And that devalues, you know, what those women are fighting for and what, you know, the women who are less visible participating in the other parts of the society are fighting for. Um, And I think one reason it's so important to look past that and, you know, get rid of that sort of Orientalist, imperialist narrative is that Mm -hmm. really, in my opinion, women in everywhere else in the world have a lot to learn from how a feminist movement was able to ensure that it was not only included, but mainstreamed in a broader national cause. Um, Mm -hmm. Because again, you know, when you look at the predecessors that the Kurdish national movement was looking at and that the women in that movement were looking at, 
they weren't only focusing on movements in the Middle East or only on, you know, armed national liberation struggles. They were looking at a lot of cases where a broad society-wide progressive cause had neglected, Mm. you know, another issue in that society, you know, in that case, the case of gender equality. Um, So I think that what they've shown that they can do in Rojava is something that feminists everywhere else in the world can look at and say there's lessons here. Um, And I'd say those main lessons are, you know, one that you have to organize and you have to organize a lot before you're able to do any work that'll show publicly because you have to, you know, teach people that they can do it and convince people that the effort is worth it. Um, And Mm -hmm. secondly, that, you know, the importance of solidarity and just the belief that you and the people that you're working with, that the people in your society are capable of transforming any oppressive system that you're facing. Because, I mean, the odds that a small feminist organization that wasn't even able to operate in public would become part of a government as it did in Northeast Syria, if they had thought that they couldn't make that transformation from authoritarianism to a more democratic system, from a patriarchal system to a more equal system, they wouldn't have been Mm -hmm. able to do it. So that kind of commitment to real organizing and insistence Mm. on making that effort, even against difficult odds, is something I think that Mm -hmm. anyone who wants more justice and more freedom in the world can learn a lot from. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Thank you. Very true. Um, Okay, something else. Yeah. Um, okay. What were you going to ask? I was going to ask, okay, a, a couple, this is kind of, okay. The other, maybe when was it? Like maybe a couple weeks ago, somebody made a comment and, and, and someone who's not quite aware or doesn't really know about what's going on and, and back home, but mm. somebody made a comment like, she's like, yeah, I just don't really understand why any woman would want to pick up a gun and, and, and go fight it's just not something that i can stand behind i don't see how that you know Mm -hmm. yeah so that woman should stay home (laughs) well (laughs) but even that kind of got me thinking of like well you know that comes you're you're saying that like that's coming from a lot of privilege right Mm -hmm. i don't know but do you guys have any thoughts on that I don't, I don't agree, but I, but that's also like a very Western. um, Yeah. Like, I think the idea that why would not just a woman, but why would anyone ever have to take up arms (laughs) and fight for something is an idea that comes from a very privileged and secure place, because there are some situations where you have to defend yourself, where a community has to defend yourself. Unfortunately, this yeah. is our their reality. This is their reality. We can try, and I think that's like oh, some of the conversations that I've had, especially in these like art stupid mm-hmm. circles, that it's just like so like yeah, well, borders this, this and that. It's like yeah, okay, in a in another world, that yeah, you're so right. I would love for none of this stuff to exist. I Mm -hmm. wish Mm -hmm. we didn't have to do this. But unfortunately, this is our reality. And these women are doing 
what yeah. they can to survive. Right. And to survive in, I mean, it's like when yes. people say, Protecting. you know, in the U.S., like during the, the protests mm. over the summer, like, oh, why are there protests? Why don't people just, you know, peacefully say to stop police brutality? People have been saying to peacefully right. stop it, you know, to fight racism, to fight, you know, all of these horrible structures that that oppress, you know, the African-American community. And it doesn't work because when people just ask nicely, nothing's happened. I think that everywhere in the world, whenever people stand up and demand rights in whatever way that they feel necessary, there's always going to be yeah. someone saying, you know, oh, why are they doing that? Why didn't they just, you know, calmly mm-hmm. ask? To not be killed yeah. or oppressed or what have you. And it's because it never, you can't get rights that way. That's sadly not how the world works. Right. Yeah. Like they can't just ask for it mm-hmm. and then get a response. Yeah. It's no. Yeah. So they have to, you know, mm-hmm. in an ideal world, like you said, Nuveen, it wouldn't be like that, but Majbudan, they have to. Yeah. Majbud, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and then, mm, okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, I also have a question and have you ever, and this is not coming from me. This is just a question for like a lot of our audience to also keep in mind. Mm. Cause I know there's a lot of like, there's a big stigma around non-Kurdish people fighting for the Kurdish cause mm-hmm. over social media. And for a lot of people, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. A lot of people think it's performative or like, you're not Kurdish. Mm-hmm. Why are you saying this or that or why isn't a Kurdish person do- doing this so like what do you what do you have to say yeah to that? I mean I think that first of all criticism is revolutionary and I personally of my work if anyone listening to this or anyone else has criticisms I would want to hear them because that's important to me mm-hmm. um, but I think broadly mm-hmm. that you know I do my best to amplify and share what the people who are affected are saying um, from sharing news on the ground and trying to, mm-hmm. you know, have people go and actually listen to, you know, the political figures who are working on this and read the theories and yes. ideas behind this movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do my best to highlight, you know, what's already going on um, and say it in a way that can, you know, reach these audiences. Um, and different audiences, yeah. too, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the definition of, of ally, allyship you know yeah that's Um, what I try my best you know I think that I'm always very clear that you know none of these ideas are something that I came up with um there's something that you know they exist in the world there's people putting them into practice and I want to ensure that as many people as possible particularly here you know in the United States in my own society can learn about ideas Mm -hmm. and you know do something in solidarity too so Yeah, I just I go from the principle that, you know, solidarity is important, um, that I take, you know, what my friends and the people I organize with say about what should be done very seriously. And that I think the world would be better off if, you know, more people were aware of Mm -hmm. what was happening in other places and what people in those places wanted them to do and ask them to do uh, to share information and support them. Yes. Which honestly, if you think about it, like for for them, their benefit, like what you can give them what they can't do. For instance, like they can't bring awareness to a Western media as vocally as like you that you're more valuable that way than let's say just going up and like joining and like picking up a gun and 
you know, like joining the cause. It's like, this is more Mm. valuable to their cause because you can give them something they can't do. Well, yeah. And go ahead, Megan. Well, not can't do. It's just that you are able to spread it farther. I think, well, I mean, well, yeah. And well, I don't know. I think that it's just, everyone has a role to play and I think that it's Mm -hmm, not all in. And I think that's something really important to to mention is that it's not always and, and you know it's it, it's not always about picking up a gun right it's about picking yeah. up a a, a freaking uh, a, a pen, pencil a, paper, a pen yeah. a pencil a paintbrush and getting it out there and then this is like another sidetrack mm-hmm. or an example a very little example of like I have some non Kurdish friends who will ask me oh my goodness when they ask me this I get so I'm like oh my heart just kind of like tingles they're like hey, so can I, I'm going to order some stuff off of your shop. And is it okay? Like, is it bad? Or is it wrong if I wear like an Osh t-shirt? And I was just like, it's totally fine. You are highly encouraged to wear a shirt that says peace in Kurdish, because you're going to start a conversation. You're going to be wearing that shirt one day when you're out with your friends. And they're like, hey, what does that say? Oh, it says peace and Kurdish. And that starts a conversation. You're going to enlighten. Well, like, what's 10... Kurdish? <laughs> exactly. And you're going to enlighten 10 people who didn't had no idea even what that even was. Right. So mm-hmm. it's so important. I think that's where collaboration comes into play and why it's so important to collaborate with, you know, your community and just everyone and not. Yeah. Joining but... two audiences together. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Megan. Well, first of all, I love the shirts um, and I everything else in your shop you do really cool work um so I'm glad you know if it's starting conversations and yeah I mean I see what I do as you know trying to do you know what's being asked of a person in my position um by people who are you know on the ground and people who are affected and the thing that's wonderful about you know living in the age of social media and connections that we do is that it's very easy for people in Rojava to say Here's what we as this organization and this movement and this segment of society want support in this capacity. Um, So, you know, in everything from sharing a solidarity campaign on social media to working on organizing a demonstration to working on trying to change perceptions among public officials here. A lot of those things are Mm -hmm. things that, you know, people have asked to be done and that are already being done by very established groups of activists, um, Kurdish activists and solidarity activists in the United States and in other countries. So I think that I just try to step up and, you know, take the place where, you know, me and my skills and what I can do can be the most helpful for what the cause wants. Um, And yeah, I think that, you know everyone has something that they can contribute. So I just, I try to contribute. And you do a great I job. Appreciate Thank that. you. Um, uh, that's yeah. Um, oof. Wow. Um, today is January mm-hmm. 20th and is the third anniversary of the invasion of, of mm-hmm. Afrin, um, by the Turkish military. Um, and I, you are also the um, founder of the Missing Offering mm-hmm. Women Project, which tracks kidnappings and disappearances of women in Turkish-occupied Offering Syria. Um, yeah, and I've been following it, and it's just constantly, you know, you're constantly updating it, which is also 
freaking devastating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that Yeah, so, I mean, I remember exactly three years ago today um, hearing, mm-hmm. you know, as we all did, the news coming in that airstrikes had started. And, you know, immediately people snapped into action. We had lots of demonstrations around Washington. Um, we worked to set up meetings with, you know... I think we must have collectively emailed uh, every office in Congress trying to ask them to meet with, you know, members of the local Kurdish community. I don't even remember how many got back. Very few. No one paid attention. And the thing that always stays with me is that we had to correct media outlets that were saying that Turkey was attacking, you know, the majority Kurdish peaceful, stable area of Afrin in order to fight ISIS. There had never been any ISIS anywhere near Afrin because, you know, the Kurds immediately took it over from the regime. They established their system. They kept extremists out. Um, So just the level of ignorance about what was happening um, and the effort that I saw, you know, so many people that I care about have to put in to, you know, and to the women there in particular also really affects their complete silence about it. But it had become very clear very early on that in addition to trying mm. to ethnically cleanse the regions, you know, Kurdish population and the religious minorities there, like the Yazidi and Alevi communities, mm-hmm. they also wanted to mm-hmm. force women out of politics and public life altogether. Um, and, you know, I found that horrifying and always seeing these reports of new atrocities targeting women and girls yeah. there. Um, And so I started tracking the disappearances quite simply because I didn't see anyone else doing it other than these very small local human rights organizations that risk a lot to get the information out there. And I thought, you know, we can't let Mm -hmm. people say that this isn't happening. We can't discount the efforts of the people who are sharing these reports. And we can't discount what's happening to these women and girls in an area where they once had, you know, a very high degree of equality. And now, you know, sources that I talk to tell me that many prefer to not leave their homes at all because they're rightly afraid of being harassed or killed or disappeared by these armed groups. So it's a devastating situation. And I just wanted to compile the evidence we had to say this is a problem and it's a problem that we can't ignore any longer as an international community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, the issue is, is because the thing is, yeah. like, no one's doing anything about it. But because there's so many, because um, government and politics are so intertwined that it's hard to do this because, like, everyone's hands are tied. So it's like, okay, who's going to be the person who's, like, what's it going to take for someone to, like, finally kind of break their arms? Like, okay, yeah. this is, like, we need to step mm-hmm. in. We can't just stay silent any longer i wish i knew Mm -hmm. what it would take for a government to do something um i mean Mm. (laughs) yeah obviously not this um, (laughs) the very sad thing with what's happened both with afrin and then with the um later incursion into uh serekani and talabyad was that this was agreed on by the two major great power blocks in the middle east the united states was okay with it and russia was okay with it And with that happening, with these two large powers and their allies respectively accepting these attacks, that meant that any kind of justice, any kind of international mechanism 
would be very difficult um, because states would be sort of covering for what happened for political reasons. Um, and that's been, you know, that's mm-hmm. been something I've absolutely noticed, because if you look at the way the U.S. government has handled these um, atrocities going on in the occupied areas, they never say anything about it. Um, there were reports that even the uh, outgoing special envoy to Syria, Jim Jeffrey, who's thankfully no longer in office anymore, um, that when Havrin Khalaf <laughs> was murdered during the invasion of Serekani, uh-huh. that the U.S. tried to condemn the incident, which I mean, anyone would have condemned the incident. They murdered a civilian politician on video and that he personally blocked that condemnation. So that was the kind of U.S. politician that we were dealing with, according to the reporting coming out at the time. It's Oof. it's bad. Um, yeah. It's very bad. And I think that, you know, on the one hand, if all we can do against people like that is gather reports of atrocities and say, here's what's happening, you know, maybe that's all we can do. But I do think that if that work isn't done, um, then there's no way anyone will ever be held accountable. So I think Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's the same with many human rights issues, sadly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what do you say? So I've talked to this when I was, um, I had a driving instructor and when he found out I was Kurdish, he was just like, um, I think I've said this story in the podcast before, but he was just like, yeah, so, oh, you're Kurdish. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, you know, Trump's done a lot for Kurdish people. And I'm like, um, excuse me? <laughs> and, you know, he's not yeah. an instructor, so I also don't want to get him too much. I don't want to fail. Um, <laughs> I paid $300 to have him be my tutor. But I'm just like, um... I I don't know where you're getting your information from, but it's like, oh, well, I mean, if you think about it, why do we have to help you guys anyways? Like, why are we like, why are all eyes on us to we can't fight other people's fights? We can't keep doing that. And like, oh, we're Americans. Like America can't just keep coming to everyone's rescue. And I'm like, do you know what like being allies mean? Do you know countries? Like, do you not know how politics works at all? And I just kind of, I was like, so what do you have to say to people like that who might I mean, say the same thing the to you? Part of the problem is that the United States uh, makes these conflicts worse, and then yes, acts like they mm-hmm. don't have to do anything about the consequences of their actions making them worse. Um, just the U.S. alliance yeah. with. Yeah. Um, you know, the U.S. The has been, they've been in NATO for uh, 50 years, more than 50 years now. And mm-hmm. if you look mm-hmm. at data on U.S. arms sales, the real peak in the most weapons and security assistance that the U.S. government gave to Turkey wasn't anything to do with the early NATO years, but actually was when the PKK began their armed struggle against the Turkish government. Which, as we know, so much of the Turkish military's activity during that period wasn't fighting an insurgency, but, you know, all out crushing entire Kurdish communities and destroying villages and, you know, targeting civilians. Mm-hmm. So despite the yeah, they're running their own agenda. Yeah. Of and the Kurdish United genocide. States armed them through that entire process. If you look at the immediate situation in Syria, Trump called Erdogan and told him that he had free reign to invade. And then he said, oh, it's not my problem. It's two kids fighting in a sandbox. You know, when there's ethnic cleansing, 
when women are being murdered, when yeah. religious minorities mm-hmm. are having to flee, you know, communities after their same communities survived massacres at the hands of ISIS, you know, when the forces who defeated ISIS are being attacked, that's not two kids fighting in a sandbox. Um, so the U.S., yeah. you know, I would say that if you don't want the U.S. to have to intervene to make things better, you have to advocate for the U.S. to stop making things worse in the first place. Um, stop selling weapons to dictators. Mm-hmm. Stop, you know, supporting the crushing of, you know, efforts for self-determination. Stop backing, you know, reactionary yeah. armed groups. A lot of the Syrian National Army factions that are involved in these abuses in the occupied areas were supported by the United States for a very long time. Um, so I think that, you know... Even in Iraq, it was a very similar thing. A lot of people don't know this, but because of the Iran-Iraq war, we were actually supporting Saddam Mm -hmm. Hussein's regime up to the time when he committed genocide against the Kurdish people, when he used chemical weapons. And after that attack, the United Mm -hmm. States actually went to the United Nations, blocked a condemnation, tried to blame the attacks on Iran, and blocked a bill in Congress that would have classified the massacres as a genocide because they wanted to still be able to sell weapons to Iraq. So, you know, it's all, it's mm-hmm. always bad. But then at the end of the day, they captured yeah. him, killed him, said, oh, well, see, exactly. look, we, you know, we, we might have created this dictator, but we got rid of him. So it's like, you know. Yeah, we also got rid of him, too. So you can't exactly. complain anymore. Like if you don't want you. terrorists and dictators and wars, you have to stop policies that create them. Yeah, very simple. And stop funding them. Yeah. And it's it's sad because a lot of people don't see that side of it. A lot of people only see up to. I've had coworkers who told me, I mean, well, hey, we killed Saddam Hussein, though, didn't we? <laughs> they so... still talk about that, huh? They love <laughs> Yes. They literally oh go to that every single time. It's been like 50. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Pick another conversation. We can't keep using the same old one, you know? But it's, it's just, like, you have to see past that. Like, I, it's not yeah. just this. That's not yeah. like politics isn't just black and white. Like, he killed you guys, but we killed him, yeah, too. Yeah, like, like, if no, you burn someone's house down, and then as it's, you know, falling apart, you finally call the fire department, and you're like, oh, look, see, I saved your house. Like, no, you didn't. You were the one who burned it. Like, mm-hmm. that's very much U.S. Exactly. foreign policy. And I think that, you know... I think we can actually, with enough organizing, getting a coalition with those people mm-hmm. who, for good reasons, might not want the U.S. to intervene abroad too much. If we get them to understand that the reasons that we try to intervene, you know, can be stopped and the human rights abuses that might be grounds for intervention can be stopped. If we stop the kind of intervention that supports dictators and supports reactionaries, mm-hmm. Then I think, you know, we just have to build Mm -hmm. that coalition and educate people. Um, I think there's a lot of Americans who would want a more sensible foreign policy. um, And it's going to take work to get there. But, you know, that's something that I'm very passionate about advocating Mm -hmm. for as well is, you know, stopping supporting these reactionaries. And also labeling these people as what they are. we need to start labeling yeah. these people like as dictators. Yeah. I think that's like a big step into the right direction would be that like no, we we recognize mm-hmm. this is dictatorship. What like in 
by like by law there's no law but like by the rules of like what i'm assuming makes up a dictatorship like he falls into all of these so you have to doesn't just yeah. not work when no, you I mean, don't you want see it the to. excuses yeah. that they make for governments like turkey saudi arabia lots of governments it's like well they're a problematic ally mm-hmm. no they're not problematic they're a reactionary authoritarian regime <laughs> that we're allied quote unquote with for weapons contracts and oil money it doesn't have to be that way there's another way to mm-hmm. have alliances based on values and principles um And I think that, yeah, like you said, being honest about what these governments are and why the United States covers for them is very important. Maybe we need the four, the people who make these laws, like maybe we need to start putting foreign Hmm. people into them. Yeah. From actually like all over the world, just have like, you know how like, like for instance, like obviously never me but like me and Nuvin how like we're (laughs) Kurdish but we live in America and we grew up here we're born here raised here but we are aware of our system we are still American citizens but I feel like people like us and from all around the world should be the same people who are who get to make these decisions of what we should or should not do in these cases well well yeah and I mean I guess it's like a detachment thing right they're not Mm -hmm. from these they're not from these areas. They don't. They don't have any. But I think that's what's missing from this foreign policy. Well, of course, the it's attachment. Because like, these are people it's far away. They don't. Their lives don't get affected. They're just getting money out of. They're profiting off of. These yeah, wars. and they're I think profiting that's, off that's of the all whole this problem. shit. So of course, but yeah, that's like a whole other thing. I also like Canada recently suspended the sale of drone optics to Turkey. Yeah, um, I saw that. You know, yeah, like, you know, that's a, and I think lobbying, you know, I think um, the mm-hmm. Armenians have a very strong lobby. Yeah, like, they're. See, because the whole problem with these organizations, why there's this whole issue is because there is that detachment that is present. So they don't feel the need because it's like, oh, well, statistically, it's not that bad. Like the consequences will be worse statistically but then you need to start thinking like no these are actual people these are lives these are women these are children these are communities that are being broken so it's not just about statistics yeah or what's gonna benefit no i agree um i think actually certainly what you saw uh, with the armenian community with their lobbying to um block arm sales and Mm -hmm. um I think they even successfully got some lobbying firms to drop their Turkish clients, which is a huge achievement because, I mean, those agreements are all about money. These Mm -hmm. companies don't care about public pressure to a very high degree at all. Um, So I think, you know, while certainly Mm -hmm. the circumstances in which these campaigns were mounted were very tragic um, because it seems the only attention that gets paid to these issues is when there's ongoing atrocities um, wherever they may be. I think those pressure campaigns are a really good model of affected people organizing and saying, look, we don't want our government and our companies to be supporting this violent action going on halfway across the world. And here's why you have to care about it. Um, So that was, I think, that tactic Mm -hmm. of organizing and putting pressure, I think, is something that is really important for Mm -hmm. foreign policy and is something that... 
I wish more people who weren't necessarily directly affected realized that it was important to join those and support those coalitions. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I think social media does help a lot nowadays because like I will see a lot of people saying like, oh, don't support this brand because they um, represent this. And I think that's amazing that we're having that yeah. conversation now more. Yeah. Um, well, oh, what else? Um, uh, Megan, my what's favorite, your favorite snack? snack. Um, honestly, those little oranges that they sell in bags, like in the winter, like clementines, I think. I like those. I was eating one of those earlier. Yes. Oh, wow. Those are good. Those are really good. I, I can pop like. Oh, yeah. Six of those in one sitting. I've never had them. What? They're, like, tiny <laughs> yeah, oranges, that's so and you can peel them, like, very easily. Like, the peel comes right off. Like, not like a regular orange. They're very good. Is it Lolingis? Yeah, Lolingis. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I've had those. I Yeah, Lolingis. I think that's Arabic. I don't know what they're called in Kurdish. But anyways, I have not. Have you ever been to um, Kurdistan? I would love to go as soon as I can. Um, I just graduated from university last spring. um, And obviously, you know, being in school, uh, big international travel was a bit difficult. Um, And then, of course, I graduate, you know, in the midst of the coronavirus situation when international travel is a very bad idea. but as soon as it's safe to go, yeah. I would mm-hmm. love to go. Um, there's a lot that I want to see. Um, and, you know, hopefully, I think, you know, it would be good for me to be able to do that. So hopefully soon. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hopefully very yeah. soon. Oh. Uh, me too. <laughs> well, Megan, Grace. this yeah. was lovely it was lovely talking to you and getting to know you and thank you so so much is there anything else that we did not cover that you'd like to like bring up or any no um, i think um, this was an awesome conversation um as i said i really admire the work that you're both doing um you asked such wonderful questions and it was great to be in conversation with both of you so um Unless you have any final comments, I'll just leave with that. Thank you again. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. We ha- I had an awesome time. I learned a lot. Yes. We really appreciate all the work that you do. And, um, yeah, it's... As Kurdish women, yeah. <laughs> have to stick together. Yes. It's, it's, it's great. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, we'll, we'll definitely um, have your tw- uh, Twitter handle... Um, linked in the description. Yes, Amazing. And, I tweet a lot. Yeah, so, um, as you know, <laughs> <laughs> lovely. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, to listening to another episode on the New Wave podcast. Yes. I am Pam. Stay safe. And we'll see you.